2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. The point is this. Don't you like it when they get right to the point? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Makes sense, doesn't it? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. For as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that your word today will become a seed, that as we look to your word and as we read your word and as I preach your word and as they hear your word, that a seed will be planted in each one of us, a seed of faith, a seed of trust, a seed of, of, uh, of, of trust in you, Lord, to do what only you can do and to bring miraculous multiplication in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to preach a little bit on this topic, the law of the seed, the law of the seed. The Bible talks about seeds a lot. I don't know if you've ever spent some time reading the Bible, you're going to see the word seed quite a bit. Um, actually, in the King James Version of the Bible, the word seed uh, appears almost 290 times throughout the, throughout the scriptures. And there is one book in the Bible that has particularly, don't put the slide up yet, Deb, because I, I want to see if they can guess it. What book of the Bible do you think mentions seed the most? Anyone have a guess? If you think about it, it'll make sense. What book do you think has the word seed in it the most? Genesis. Someone said it. Genesis. Genesis mentions the word seed 47 times. The next closest one is Isaiah, and it only mentions seed 23 times. So, so Genesis mentions it a lot. Why? Because Genesis is the book of beginnings. And everything begins with a seed. Everything begins with a seed. Plants begin with a seed. You don't get a plant unless you sow a seed. Animals and humans, we don't use words like this anymore, but if you read, especially the King James Bible, the physical process of conception, the Bible will use the word seed to describe that process. Um, when business owners are looking for investors uh, to help launch a new business, they look for someone to invest, what? Seed money into that business. Uh, I was doing some reading recently, and I, I learned that when uh, people are trying to farm pearls and create pearls, Pastor Katie's wearing her pearl necklace this morning, and, and when they were trying to manufacture and create pearls, they will inject a grain of sand into an oyster uh, to force it to create a pearl, and they call that seeding the oysters, seeding the pearls. So see, everything begins with some kind of a seed. And, and seeds are fascinating if you stop and think about it. I'm not just being poetic because there are whole branches of fields of academic study uh, about seeds. 
You can drive up to Fayetteville next week and you can go visit the ag department at the University of Arkansas and there will be professors and students that their entire life is devoted to studying a particular type of seed and trying to figure out how to make that seed more productive and how exactly that seed works. And they'll even be people who get their PhDs in studying a particular type of seed and how to produce the best crop. None of us can live without seeds. We have to have seed to survive. Think about what you eat. Everything that you eat either is a seed, came from a seed, or ate something that came from a seed, and then you ate it. It's essential. Seeds are essential for survival. Seeds are good. Seeds are vital. But someone's car is going off out there. But seeds, not all seeds, are good seed. Some seed is bad seed. Please excuse our interruption here. That's all right. No problem. All right, we got it. Focus back now. We got the problem solved. Let's look here. Not all seeds are good seed. Some seed is bad seed. Some seed gets sown in the wrong places. I recently read an article where federal agencies and national security agencies in the United States are becoming very concerned about biological warfare and biological terrorism through seeds. Actually, it just happened in Boonville, Arkansas last year. It made national news just 20 minutes from here where a farmer received in the mail some seeds from China and was encouraged to plant them on his farm. He didn't solicit them. They just showed up in the mail one day. And the article said that, uh, that the USDA has received over 9,000 reports in recent years of similar cases where foreign countries are unsolicited sending seed to Americans and getting them to plant and they're planting invasive species that will take over and destroy our ecosystem. Some of these seeds contain parasites that could destroy our food supply. And so not all seed is good seed. Not all seed has good intentions. Seeds are good and can create good things, but improperly handled, seeds can be dangerous. So the Bible talks a lot about seed because there's a lot you can learn from seeds. Seeds can teach us things about life and about death, about faith, about the miraculous, and ultimately about God. You know, one of Jesus' most famous parables was about mustard seeds. Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So Jesus, when he's trying to describe what is God's kingdom like, he uses a seed. In other words, living for God and reaching people for Christ might not seem like much. Your contribution to the kingdom might seem small and minuscule like that mustard seed, but inside of that mustard seed, there is potential for a lot of power and a lot of life if you'll just plant the seed. 
Jesus also used the law of the sea to teach us, uh, his disciples rather, about his coming death and resurrection. John chapter 12, verse 24. He says, truly I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he's talking about his resurrection there, or his crucifixion and resurrection. Because just before this verse, Peter had said, Jesus, you're not going to die. I'm not going to let you die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he says, you don't understand, Peter. I have to die because only when a seed is planted, when it dies and is buried, does it ever bear fruit. And so Jesus uses seed to explain the crucifixion and the resurrection. So, so seeds are important. They're essential. Mishandled, they can be dangerous. And seeds can ultimately teach us a lot about life, faith, and about God. And in the passage I read you this morning from 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul outlines for the early believers at the church in Corinth, he outlines the law of the seed and what it means to live by the law of the seed. And I want to teach you today four biblical truths from the law of the seed. And I'm going I'm to go ahead and give you all of them, and then we're going to go through them one by one. Number one, seed only produces more of its own kind. Number two, seed must be sown to be effective. Number three, sown seed must be allowed to mature. And number four, seed sown in faith will result in miraculous multiplication. So let's look at the first one. Seed will only produce more of its own kind. The first time the Bible mentions the word seed is in the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, this is what God's word says. It says, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit Fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. On the third day of creation, God created seeds. On the third day of the existence of the universe, God said seeds are important and seeds only produce their own kind. No one can go out and plant an apple seed and get a banana tree. Apple seeds produce apple trees. That's the way God designed it. He designed it way back in Genesis chapter 1. You can't change it. It will never change. It is the way God created the order of the universe. That seeds produce more of their own kind. Trees and plants produce their own kind, and then the seeds produce more of the same kind of plants and trees. It is a law of nature. Now, this principle, it applies elsewhere in life. It is a universal principle. Listen, Anything that you hold in your hand that you choose to give becomes a seed. Anything you hold in your hand that you choose to give will become a seed. And in our text this morning, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's asking them to take up an offering, a collection for the Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering persecution. The Christians in Jerusalem, they're being beaten and they're being killed. They are in hiding and they're starving to death. They have no money and they have no food. And Paul writes to his spiritual sons and daughters at the church in Corinth where there is safety and where there is prosperity. And he says, if you will receive an offering to send to those Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering, 
God will provide generously for you. Now, let me be clear about something because I want to get this out of the way. I am not talking about some kind of money-making gimmick from sleazy televangelists. That's not what we're talking about. Paul is not keeping any of that collection for himself. He's, none of it goes to his own uh, well-being. He is not uh, trying to gain anything on his own. He sees a need in someone else and encourages someone to be generous, encourages Christians to give to that need. And he says, with the measure that you give with a cheerful heart, that's what God will provide for you. You can afford to be generous, in other words, because when you're generous, God will provide for you. Whatever you sow into the lives of these needy people who are suffering, who are hurting, that, that becomes a seed, and that seed will produce blessings in your life. But it goes much further than money or material things. <coughs> Anything you give to someone else is a seed. And that seed you give will produce more of the same kind. Kindness is a seed. When you treat someone kindly, it will produce more kindness in that relationship. Now the flip side, meanness is a seed. And if you are mean, you will produce more meanness and it will come back to you as meanness. Mercy is a seed. Mercy will produce more mercy. But bitterness is a seed, and bitterness will produce more bitterness. I'm not getting any amens here, but come on. A smile is a seed. You don't believe me? Find someone and start smiling. You'll start getting people to smile back at you. It's a seed, and it produces more of its own kind. But violence is a seed. If you're violent, it's going to produce more violence. We keep hearing about, well, if we fight this person or we start this war, well, finally, it'll be the war to win all wars. No, it won't. Violence always begets more violence. The only way you get peace is to start sowing peace. Friendship is a seed. If you act friendly, people will act friendly to you. It will produce more of its own kind. An encouraging word is a seed. If you are an encourager, people will begin to encourage you. Listen, respect is a seed. If you start sowing seeds of respect into a relationship, it will produce respect back to you in that relationship. So here's the takeaway. And in your notes, I, I kind of put takeaways for every point. Here's the takeaway. You need to ask yourself, what do you need more of in your life? What is lacking in your life? What do you need more of in your life? Do you need more friends? Start sowing friendship. You will never get more friends until you start being friendly. Come on. If you're walking around with a sourpuss face all the time, you're not going to make friends. You start being friendly, you'll start having friends. See, it's a seed. You need more respect from your spouse? Start sowing respect into your spouse. Start, start sowing respectful words and actions into your spouse. Start treating your spouse and family members with respect and watch your house become an atmosphere of respect. You cannot repeatedly sow disrespect into your marriage and into your spouse and expect them to respect you back. You cannot continue to sow seeds of meanness and bitterness into people and expect them to be friendly to you. 
Because seed always produces its own kind. Whatever you sow into a relationship is what will be produced in that relationship. Point number one, seed always produces its own kind. Number two, seed must be sown in order to be productive. Seed must be sown in order to be productive. Seed is never as productive in your hand as it is in the ground. That's why the Apostle Paul quoted Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What is blessing? Abundance. What is blessing? It's, it, it is extravagance. Blessing is abundance. It is extra. It is productive. It is more productive to give than to receive. Receiving something, it's a blessing. I received a little gift this morning from somebody. Someone walked in and handed me a card, and I saw some green in it. And I was like, oh, that was a blessing. <laughs> That was awesome. But the greater blessing comes when I give. And here in a moment, I'm going to give some green. And I'm going to, that is a greater blessing because it's more productive. More will come from what I gave than from what I received. Because when you give something, it becomes a seed. And that seed is more productive when you give it than when you hold it in your hand. If I hold a seed in my hand, it will never sprout. It will never grow. It will never multiply. It never multiplies until I put it into the ground. Many people never experience the total blessings of God on their lives because they never learn how to sow the seed that God gives them. If I hold in my hand one seed, whether it's a, a corn, kernel of corn a grain of wheat, an acorn, a, a sunflower seed, a peanut, a green bean. What, if I hold that seed in my hand, if all I ever do is keep it in my hand, all it will ever be is one seed. All it will ever be. I'll never actually get an ear of corn. I'll never get a harvest of wheat. I'll never get a green bean worth eating. I will never get an oak tree for shade. I will never get enough, enough food for a meal because I'll just have my one seed in my hand. But if I give up the one seed, if I sacrifice the one seed, if I sow it into the ground in due season, I will experience God's blessings. Jesus said, unless a grain of seed falls into the soil and dies, it will never be productive. Sowing seed sometimes hurts. Sowing seed is where faith has to step in. You always have to have faith when you begin to sow a seed. The faith of the farmer says, if I give this seed in my hand to the ground, to the earth, I'm trusting God to provide for my future, even though I'm empty-handed right now. We could say, I can't sow my seed because if I do, I'll be empty handed. But that would be foolish because like 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then down in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. He will provide. Faith says, God can do more with this seed than I can. So I'm going to release the seed from my hand. I'm going to put it into the ground. I'm going to let it die. I'm going to bury it. And I'm going to trust God for resurrection. And if we don't do that, we will never produce 
an effective harvest. Seed must be sown in order to be productive. Now here's the takeaway. Remember in your notes, there's a takeaway for every point. Let me ask you this. Ask yourself, what do you have that God has given you that so far you've been unwilling to release back to God? Maybe it's something financial, but I'm not here to preach a message on money today. I'm wanting to go deeper than that. What do you have in your life that so far you've been resisting releasing it back to God? Maybe it's a talent that you have, a gifting that God gave you, and you've been holding it back and you haven't been serving God or honoring God with the talents that he gave you. Maybe it's your time. And you've been unwilling to commit your time to the Lord. Commit your time in prayer or in fasting or in reading the word or serving in your local church. And maybe lately you've begun to feel like you never have enough time to get everything done. But I want to encourage you and suggest to you that you haven't given your time to God first so the rest of your time is unproductive. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't have chapter and verse for this, but I got a Holy Ghost hunch about it. I believe your time works a lot like your tithe. I believe that when you begin to give the first fruits of your income, God blesses the other 90%. Amen. We believe in tithing here. But I also believe that when you give the first fruits of your time, that the rest of your time will become more productive. Some of you are farmers in this room and you could be out working today. Well, it's raining today. Maybe not. But I believe because you're here and you're giving God your time, he's going to make the rest of your week productive because you gave him your first. He gave him what belonged to him first. You gave him his day and God's going to make the rest of your days productive. And if you refuse to give him that day, then he's not going to bless the rest of the week. The problem is, we don't always trust that when we sow the seed into the ground, that it's going to sprout and bring a harvest. So we just don't sow. And we hold the seed in our hand, and it never grows. And eventually, whatever we are unwilling to turn loose of, listen, whatever we are unwilling to turn loose of, it will eventually dry up, wither, and rot away. It will only become productive when we sow it. Some of you, we've, uh, Justin's been with me a couple of times to the ramp in Hamilton, Alabama, a ministry there founded by Karen Wheaton in the late 1990s. Karen Wheaton, um, some of you may remember her. She was really, especially in the 90s, was the heyday of her, her music career in the Christian music world. She was traveling with some big-name evangelists, Billy Graham, uh, Oral Roberts, Benny Hinn, all, all these different people she had traveled and sung for. She's an amazing singer. And it was, I think it was 1998. She was from this small town, about 5,000 people, in Ham- called Hamilton, Alabama. And she was back home from on tour and was uh, driving down the road And she drove by an old empty car lot, parking lot, and all the teenagers in town were sitting on the hoods of their cars talking and hanging out and shooting the bull and that kind of thing. And she said, the Lord spoke to me as I drove through. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I drove by and I saw those teenagers, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm calling you back to your hometown to work with the youth in your community. And she tells the story better than I am, but she says, that's when I explained to the Lord that I uh, was not cool enough to work with the youth in my community, that I was too old and I wasn't cool enough. And the Lord told her, he said, this is what I'm calling you to do next. He says, you can teach them how to worship me and experience my presence. And this is the promise he gave her. 
He said, what you invest in the lives of other young people, you will reap in your own children. She tells the story and she says, he knew how to get me. He knew what would get me if I, if I was about my kids, that I cared about my children. And so she started this ministry there in a, in a storefront church in Hamilton, Alabama, in the back room, cinder block walls, probably about the size of one of these rooms here. I've been in that room, and she showed us where it is, and with just seven or eight kids, and they didn't have any cool lights, they didn't have a sound system, they didn't have uh, video games to play and attract the kids. She just got them in a circle, and they started praying. And every week, every week they would get together. And she said there were a few awkward weeks because none of those kids knew how to pray. And so she was the only one that was doing it. But the Lord told her, keep pressing in and keep praying and keep keep seeking my presence and they'll follow you. And she said, I'm going to teach them how to get to God. I'm going to teach them how to experience the Lord. And the glory began began to come during those meetings and people began to come and they ended up, it began to grow so big that eventually it turned into monthly conferences. And now still, every month in Hamilton, Alabama, they bought that grocery store, the old uh, parking lot where the kids were hanging out, and it's a 1,200-seat auditorium now, and every month, 1,200 kids from all over the country come for a conference to hear from God and to worship God, and they've baptized thousands of people over the last 20 years in, in the creek there in their town, and it's been this incredible thing that has taken place. It's a miraculous story of how God allowed someone's obedience and the seed they planted in the young people to grow and multiply. Now, you can get the book. She, ha- she wrote a book called Watching the Road by Karen Wheaton. Write it down. Look it up, especially if you have a child who's not serving the Lord right now. Well into serving in the ministry. It was national, international ministry at this point. Thousands of kids coming. The blessings of the Lord were on it. And her oldest daughter, who was married to one of the leaders, who was a leader in the ministry and married to one of the leaders, had a season where she became a prodigal and walked away from the faith. And she was unfaithful in her marriage. And she left her husband and her kids. And she left her relationship with the Lord. And Miss Karen puts it this way. She said, I had been sowing seed. And God promised me that what I sowed in the lives of other children, I would reap in my own child. And so can you imagine that prayer life when she said, God, for 20 years, I've been making an investment. I've been making a deposit into my account in heaven. And I'm claiming right now, you're going to make good on your promise. And my daughter's going to come home. I'm not going to settle for winning everyone else's children and losing my own. I'm going to see salvation in my house. And it's this miraculous story of over a couple years journey, how God brought her daughter back to the Lord and the daughter's marriage was restored and their children were restored and they were restored to ministry. Get the book. But listen, the point is she sowed seed in someone else and she reaped a harvest in her own life. See, this isn't about money. This is about your kids. This is about your future. This is about your church. This is about your community, what you sow. And it's not about you. Listen, I'm not preaching about finances. I'm talking about ladies and and men that are here every Wednesday night and you're investing in other children, you're making, you're planting seed every Wednesday night and you're going to reap a harvest in your own children, in your own family because of what you're planting. Those that are up here on the worship team, you're planting seed every time you come up here and you lead someone into the presence of God. You're casting out seed into good soil and I believe there's going to be a harvest that comes when you do that. Listen, she sowed seeds into the lives of hundreds of thousands of young people, not realizing 
realizing that one day she would need to make a withdrawal on her account, that she would need to see a harvest in her own life. Seed must be sown in order to be productive. Number three, sown seed must be allowed to mature. Genesis 8, chapter 8, verse 22, God says after the flood, after Noah uh, goes through the flood, he makes Noah a promise and he says, I'll never flood the earth again. And he says in Genesis 8, verse 22, he says, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease, shall not cease. While the earth remains seed time and harvest shall not cease cease. There are seasons in life. And planting and harvesting comes in seasons. The faith to see the seed you sow produce takes place within the context of seasonal rhythms. No one plants a seed one day and expects to see a fully grown and mature plant the next day. It takes time. And oftentimes, it takes time where it seems like nothing is happening. I've been taking up gardening the last couple of years, and I'm learning about it. I, I learned a lot from my granddad growing up, and then I forgot a lot, and so I'm relearning a lot. But I remember I, I, we planted some stuff behind the house this spring, and I went out every day, and I looked in that soil, and I would crouch down and look real deep and start looking because I wanted to see, was anything coming up yet? Does Rob do it too? You got to check it every day. But it was foolish to think there'd be something the next day, but I watched every day knowing that eventually in due season, in the right time something was going to sprout up because I had sown the seed. But it takes time to believe it. And it would be easy to go out that first day and that second day and not see anything happening and to just give up and to just walk away and to just let the weeds take over because I didn't see anything happening and I didn't, I didn't see anything growing there. It would be easy to do that, but I would miss out on the harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Paul says this, he said, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. So if you sow sin, if you sow selfishness, if you sow ungodliness, if you sow seeds of greed or seeds of materialism or seeds of adultery or idolatry or you sow meanness and bitterness into your relationships in due season, that's what you're going to reap. But if you sow according to the Spirit, if you sow love, if you sow peace, if you sow kindness and gentleness and patience in due season, that good seed, you're going to reap a harvest. But think of it this way. If up until today, I have been sowing bad seed, and today I make a choice to begin sowing good seed, that doesn't mean that I'm going to immediately start reaping a good harvest. There's still bad seed out there that's got to come to harvest. But if I keep sowing good seed, Eventually, the bad seed will stop producing and I'll start reaping the benefits of the good seed that I've sown. Come on. And so, so many people, they give up in doing good works. They give up in showing kindness. They give up in showing forgiveness and respect because they, they don't see the immediate results and they're still harvesting the bad seed from the past and they don't stick with it long enough to see the good seed produce. Come on. 
And so if you want to see a harvest, you've got to allow it to mature. You've got to allow it to look at what he says again in verse chapter Galatians chapter six, verses seven through ten. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but from the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Every act of kindness to someone else is a seed. Every act of love is a seed. Every act of forgiveness is a seed. Every, every positive interaction you have with someone is a seed. And if they're not a believer and they don't know Christ, every time you show them kindness, every time you show them respect, every time you show them mercy and grace, it's a seed of the kingdom. And Jesus says that little tiny seed can grow into a great big tree. It can grow into something strong and powerful. So seed has to mature. Here's the takeaway for this point. Make a decision today to change seed. To start sowing seed according to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And don't stop. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. In your due season, if you keep sowing, you will reap the benefits. God wants to return a blessing in your marriage. He wants to return a blessing in your family, in your children, in your workplace, in your community, and in your church. But the way He's going to do it is through putting seed in your hand, you putting seed in the ground and trusting God with it, and you tending to the seed until you see a harvest in your due season. This is better than y'all are letting on. This will change your life if you start living this way. Number four, seed sown in faith will result in miraculous multiplication. Let's take one last look at that first scripture I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look at this. You will be enriched in every way. This isn't a financial, in every part of your life. You will be enriched to be generous in every way. God blesses you so you can continue to be generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God, which through us other people will begin to give thanks to God and worship God for what He has done in and through us. The miracle of the seed is the ability of the seed to multiply. One seed can literally produce thousands more seeds. I told y'all I took up gardening recently. And Pastor Katie, she doesn't care as much about the vegetables as she does the flowers. And so she really loves sunflowers. Someone said me too, right? She really loves sunflowers. Hang on a minute here. So we put in our raised bed garden by the house there. I planted some sunflowers. And one, two, three, four, yeah, nine. We had nine sunflower seeds that I planted in that garden. And I don't know if you, y'all drove by. They turned out real good. They were pretty. They, they looked good. But nine seeds. That's nine seeds right there in my hand. And nine plants. That's not very much seed right there. 
But that nine seed created nine plants that multiplied. And this last week, I was able to harvest some. And this isn't even all of them. But that's what I got. That's just from one or two plants right there that I got. And then... That's one right there. There's probably just as much seed just in that one sunflower right there. All this came from one seed. It's a law. This isn't, this isn't like, oh, it might happen. It's a law that if you plant the one seed, it will multiply into more seeds. It's just the way God created it. And so when you sow seed in faith, it will always produce a miraculous multiplication. You know, I've always struggled with multiplication. You remember in grade school, they would give you the, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they gave you the tables, you know, and there's 1 through 12 on the top side and 1 through 12 on the bottom. And our teachers told us to just memorize them. Remember that? I didn't believe that I had to memorize them. And I was never really great at it because instead of memorizing that table, I would always do the math in my head. If they said, you know, like, two times seven, well, I just count up seven two times, and whatever I got, that was, what I, that was how I did multiplication in my head, and so I was always slow at it, and I wasn't able to quite get it. You know, the fives are easy, the tens are easy, but you get between five and ten, and it gets a little harder to, to, to do that, you know, and I never quite fully memorized them, and because I didn't memorize my multiplication tables, I had trouble with division, because you got to know how to multiply to divide for some reason, and, and so I had trouble with that. And so then when I got into the, the teachers in the room can explain it later and correct me. But then I got to algebra and I was lost. They started putting letters in there with the numbers and it just even got more difficult. And geometry was hard and algebra two was hard. And I made it through high, my high school math classes on charm and good looks, basically. Like that's how I, that's how I got through. But but then I got to college, and I thought I was done with math because I wasn't majoring in it, but they said, you have to take at least one math class. And so I started asking around, and I said, well, which one's the easiest one? Because I'm not good at math. And I was good at, like, everything else. But math, it was like my kryptonite. I could not figure it out. And so uh, they, someone told me statistics would be e- the easiest one. Y'all, they lied to me. Statistics is nothing but multiplication and formulas and, and algebra. And it was awful. I couldn't figure it out. I was terrible at it. I got a C in it, which was... You you had to at least get a C, and I think the teacher felt sorry for me and so bumped me up to a C, all because I was really bad at multiplication. But you know what? I'm thankful God is really good at multiplication. He is really good at multiplication. He can take one bottle of oil and a handful of flour and in a widow's hand multiply it and create meals to keep them from starving. He can take five loaves and two fish and multiply it and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. He can take 12 disciples, multiply it to 120 in the upper room, fill them with the Holy Ghost, and they'll multiply and 3,000 people will get saved. God's really good at multiplication. He's a master mathematician. When we learn the law of the seed and we put the little handful of seed we have already in the ground. We will see a multiplied harvest if we sow it in faith, believing in due season, God's going to bring the harvest. But it all starts with one little seed that we sow in faith. Here's the takeaway. What is God calling you to trust him with today? 
God wants to bring miraculous multiplication into your life. He wants to bring supernatural anger. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless those conversations that you have with your spouse and multiply them, that they're encouraging and uplifting and that you're sharpening one another and building each other up. He wants to bring multiplication in your good interactions and relationships with that teenager who barely talks to you. He wants to bring supernatural increase and multiplication into that relationship. Y'all, he wants to supernaturally multiply this church. He wants to see the lost saved. He wants to see the house filled. He wants to see where we can't fit them in because they're coming and they're finding hope and they're finding redemption and they're finding freedom. He wants to miraculously multiply what we see here in front of us today, but it all starts with sowing a seed. Pastor Kay, would you come? I'm almost done. The greatest seed that you could ever sow is the seed of your own life. The greatest thing that you can ever give and release back to God is your own life. Everything you give can become a seed. And if you give your life and trust your life with the Lord, your life becomes a seed that God will bring increase to. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 Jesus says this, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The next verse says, for whosoever, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever holds the seed in his hand and won't let go, eventually that seed will rot and destroy and wither away. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The most important seed you could ever sow in the kingdom is your own life. Where you say, I'm not going to hold too tightly to my life, my preferences, my desires. And instead, I'm going to give my whole life to the master who's real good at multiplication. He's a real good gardener. He knows how to make things grow. He knows how to multiply things. My, the Bible says that most of us on earth, we're guaranteed maybe 80 years. Maybe 80 years on life. If you're blessed, you'll make it that long. If you're over that, you're living on borrowed time. But God says, I can take that 80 years that you live on this life, and if you'll give it to me, I can multiply it into eternal life if you'll submit it to me. The greatest seed you can ever plant is the seed of your own life into the soil of God's kingdom. And you say, I want to be a part of that kingdom. And if you're here today and you haven't given your life to the master mathematician and to the master gardener, who can take your 80 years and turn it into eternity, you need to do it today. You need to make that decision today. When we get done with the altar call in a moment, we're not going to dismiss because we are going to give that offering, seed faith offering to the future of the church. But this is the most important thing. Have you given your life to Jesus? I want you to stand with me this morning. I want every head bow, every eye closed. If you hold too tightly to the seed, 
It will never grow. It will never multiply. It will eventually wither away. But if you will plant the seed into good soil, in faith, God will bring miraculous multiplication. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anyone in the room today.